Morning, Gateway Church. Happy Mother's Day to all your mothers out there. Excited for today. Um, those of you guys are out there, you know what this weekend is, right? So, good answer. It's also opening fishing. It's Mother's Day. It's opening fishing. Elk River always has their prom on Mother's Day weekend. I don't know what's going on in my world. But I made a mistake this morning. At 9.30 this morning, I'm standing in the lobby. In my heart this year, I'm really excited about what God's going to share. But I got some brothers and friends that are fishing. And I made a mistake. I sent them a text. I said, catch anything yet? No, this is 9.30 in the morning. My buddy left his house at 5. It's a three-hour drive to the lake, so that gives you about 8. He had to stop to get bait, get his boat in the lake, and get to the fishing spot. So I'm guessing he's been there about an hour fishing. And I don't know if you know this, but in our world, we have a clicker in the boat, so there's no lying as a fisherman. You catch a fish, you hit the clicker. 28 on the clicker at 9.30 in the morning. 28. They're having a good day. But we're going to have a better day, right? Amen, because we're going to be here, and we're going to hear from Jesus today. I hope that today, that if you're struggling like these moms struggle in feeling of inadequacy as a mom, I hope you get challenged today. And I hope you walk out of here encouraged by the job that you're doing. That's my job this morning. So today I'm going to speak to the moms. I use that term loosely because some of you are women in the sanctuary who are too young to have kids. You're still going to be a mom someday. Some of you may have never been able to bear children for one reason or another, yet you're still a mom because you have nephews and nieces and you have kids in this church and you have kids in your community that you become a mom to. So I'm speaking to all of you today, not just to those women who have bore children. You might be 12 or 14 years old and a girl in this audience. I want you to listen to what God has to say to you today. We're going to look at women in three different lights. First of all, through this lens that our world sees us, like our kids see us, as our husbands see us, as the world sees us. That's one way we're going to look. We're going to have a little bit of fun with that. Then secondly, we're going to look at how you view yourselves. And then third, and the most important, I want you to see how God sees you. All right? Let's pray. Lord, May you be an encouragement to the women here today. You know more of their hearts than I do. You've given me a glimpse into that this week, but Lord, I just am excited to, to see how you're going to encourage them today. Speak to them right where they are, what they need to hear, Lord. May my words be your mouth today, and may they become empowered to be the women you've called them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How does the world view moms and women? I started out this, this week in my office and I started writing stuff down that I remember about my mom. Stuff that, that reminds me of a mom. So, first of all, a mom's got to be a wife. That's God's best, right? God's design is that women get married and then have children not beforehand. That's in a perfect world. We don't live in a perfect world. 
Some people are single parents. Some people have had kids before they were married. And that's a struggle. And if you were to ask them, they would say that wasn't the best. Because a kid needs a mom and a kid needs a dad. And we need to do that in the right order. And this church stands on that. We believe in that. I'm excited for my daughter. She's going to get married here in about three weeks. I know it's, it's getting more and more difficult for me as a dad. But she's going to be a wife first before she's a mom. And I'm proud of her for doing that. Excited for their life together. A couple years ago, I preached a message on Father's Day how moms protect and dads project. Somebody remembered from a couple years ago. And I had this, this cartoon where the guy's throwing the kid in the air, you know, the kid's laughing, and the mom's standing beside going, no, don't drop him. Well, today we're talking about moms, and one of the things that moms are are protectors. No, those aren't my daughters, but those are two puppies that we have at home, and my wife is a protector. You understand what that means, right? The mom dog protects those little puppies when they're little from other dogs and will get fairly ferocious if another dog even walks by these little puppies. That was during the snowstorm a couple weeks ago when there was nothing else to do, so my wife grabbed the puppies and snuggled with them. Mom is a protector. Mom is a nurturer. We use that word today. Somebody used that word. A nurturer has a feeling of a gentle teacher. We all have that favorite teacher in high school that, oh, everybody loves Miss Clark or Mrs. Clark. And you're excited about her because she's a good teacher because she's a gentle teacher. She nurtures you along. You learn, but it's in a way that is not scary and it's not demanding And that's the way moms are. That's the way I see moms, as as a nurturer. Sometimes moms are companions. Sometimes kids just need a companion. You're not supposed to be their best friend, but at times you need to be their friend. You need to sit alongside them and cry with them and laugh with them and and have fun with your kids and and just be the companion, the, the listening ear that they need at times. That's how I see a mom at times. A fixer of all bumps. Right? When the skin knee shows up, who has the first aid kit? I'm not sure if I could find band-aids in my house. But my wife knows where they're at and everything else to make that skin knee all better. Isn't it interesting that kids' first word they learn is dad? Right? I remember my wife, after we had Olivia, then she had Isabel, and she held her on her knee, said, say mama, say mama, say mama, to get her to say mama before she said dada. But when a kid is in need, who do they yell to first? Mom! Mom, I need help. Mom, I need this fixed. They learn the word dad first, but they yell mom first when they need help. What does the Bible say about women? I will comfort you in Jerusalem as a mother 
comforts her child. I see women as a comforter. I see moms as a comforter. They're that person who just surrounds their kids with comfort and just knows what to bring a child. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, I see moms as prayers. They pray for their kids. Sir, do you remember, Hannah asked, I am the very woman who stood here several years ago and prayed to the Lord. Remember Hannah? She prayed, asking God for a child. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. Moms are prayers. They pray for their kids. They pray that their kids will grow up to be responsible citizens. They pray for their kids to not skin their knees. They pray for their kids for protection, for a helpmate for them. I see a mom as a prayer. I also see a mom as this. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives a favor from the Lord. God, guys, do you look at your wife as a treasure? Or she's just someone who, like this one boy says, she cooks me lots of food. <laughs> man, it's got to be more than that. If you don't treasure your wife, men, I want to encourage you to think about that today. This message is for Mother's and Mother's Day, but guys, you can learn so much here today. I learned so much this week that hopefully you can instill into your brain of the way women think, what they need, and how best we can help them in this world. But you got to treasure them because they are a treasure. The man who finds a wife, who finds a wife, finds a treasure. And he receives favor from the Lord. Wow. Proverbs 19, verse 14 says, Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth. That's what we want to do as guys, right? We want to provide for our families. But only the Lord can give an understanding wife. I see moms, I see women as understanding. Sympathizers. They understand what's going on in your world. Maybe even you don't have to say it. They see it in the way you wear it on your sleeve and your emotions. And they're sympathizers. And God says that's a good thing. That God gives that to you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Read that, guys. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a slave for him. No, it doesn't say that. Well, there's be people that are going to be listening on the podcast this week and they'll go, what? Genesis chapter 2 does not say that. It says, I will make a helper for him, him who is just right for him. That is so important. We need that partner to come alongside of us. Someone who stands alongside of us, who might think a little bit differently than us, but helps us through those times when we need a different perspective. We don't need another guy to tell us, yeah, that's wrong, or yeah, your boss is treating you wrong, or you know, this isn't fair. You need a woman at times to come alongside you and say, have you ever thought of it this way? We need a helper. 
As I was thinking of my mom this week, I thought, I see a mom as a maker of wonderful recipes. A couple weeks ago, I was looking for a recipe that my mom used to make. It was a dessert, and I started calling my aunts, and I started texting them, and I put a message out on Facebook, and I said, there's this certain dessert that my mom used to make. I can't find it anywhere. It is not written down anywhere. All my aunts remember it. My cousins remember it. But nobody has the recipe. My mom just made it. Moms are makers of wonderful recipes. I did find that my brother has actually tried to reproduce it, and he tells me he knows how to make it, so hopefully someday I'll get a chance to try that again. And I'm not going to explain it to you because it's a big, long process, but uh, moms are makers of wonderful recipes, aren't they? I bet if I asked every one of you, put a microphone in front of you and say, what is the favorite recipe your mom used to make? It comes to you instantly. You can tell me, whatever it was. Porcupine meatballs. I don't know, whatever it is. I got a lot from my mom, as you can see. I see my mom as <laughs> the one who always had clean clothes for me to wear. Doesn't that the way the world looks at moms at times? I, mean, I used to come home from college with two huge duffel bags full of all my dirty clothes from like three weeks. And my mom would be mad if I showed up without those dirty clothes. Where are your clothes? I didn't bring them home. Well, why not? So I just started bringing them home. She would wash them all the time. Now I think it's kind of funny because I hear my daughter sometimes say, Mom, I want to wear this shirt tomorrow. The church was dirty. Or I want to wear these jeans to school tomorrow and they're, they're dirty. Moms are those women who stay up late <laughs> to wash clothes and get up early to dry clothes. Now these are things that our society sees and says about moms, okay? So don't get offended if some of these are like, whoa, what are you talking about here? I'm, I'm not trying to preach gospel here. I'm just telling you these are the ways that our world looks at women, including me. I also see women, mothers, as bearers of children. Some moms are able to give birth to children. Other women bear children in a supportive role. And they help to bear those children up. Have you ever shown affection to a young child and been able to watch the, ref the reaction of the mom? Pay a little attention to someone's kid and watch the mom start beaming. She has a sense of joy and excitement because another person sees value and purpose in her child. Not everyone can give birth to a child, but everyone, including us men, can support a child and help in bearing and raising up that child. I also see wives as, and mothers as lovers. Lovers of their kids, lovers of children, but also lovers of their husbands and spouses. And you can teach your kids a lot in how to love. How to love another man and how to love their kids. Guys, I had a quote this week from an older gentleman I meet with some guys on Thursday morning. We talk about my message, and they enlighten me with all their wisdom. And 
Sometimes I make changes in my message, but it's a good thing. And uh, this week, one of the older guys said to me, he said, it's a quote that he had quoted to me from somebody else. He said, guys, you want to be king of your home? Well, we all go, yeah, I am king of my home. You want to be king of your home? Treat your wife like a queen. Amen? We also see moms as <laughs> taxi cab drivers. <laughs> or more modern term, an Uber driver. Hopefully your kids don't text you and say, Mom, you know, in the house, Mom, get in the car, we're ready to go. But I'm sure some moms feel like Uber drivers, taking their kids and anybody else's kids wherever they need to go. Finally, I see moms as peacekeepers. Siblings like to fight, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what family you're in. They like to wrestle and fight. Remember I told you that story last week where I hit around the corner from my brother and then he came around the corner and I smacked him right in the chin? Yeah, well, there's another end of that story because when brothers are like that and they're fighting that way, parents get exasperated. And I remember my mom trying to be the peacemaker, and she couldn't make peace with my brother and I, and she threatened to leave. She said, go get my coat. I'm leaving. I can't stand you guys anymore. I can't stand the fighting. I can't stand the bickering. I am leaving. No, Mom, don't go. Mom, stay, stay. We promise we'll be good. For about three minutes. Moms are peacekeepers. And they do anything they can to bring peace. Partly because they love their children, partly because they get tired of just arguing and fighting and bickering all the time. Well, that was the first part of my message, and I was done with that by about 11.30 or 12 on Monday morning, and I'm like, okay, now, how do women view themselves? And I'm like, I got nothing. (laughs) I'm a guy. I don't know. I could read a book. But I don't know. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I wanted to learn. So I said, well, how do you do modern day research? You put a question out on Facebook. (laughs) So I put a question out on Facebook. I said, okay, women, I want to know how you view yourself as a mom. What are your struggles and what are your senses of accomplishment? that you have in your world. Wow. All afternoon, my phone went crazy with Facebook messages. And not one in two lines. I'm talking paragraphs, books of how they feel. I got more personal messages on Monday and Tuesday than I've ever had on Facebook. Because these women didn't want the world to know, but they wanted me to know this is how they feel. And I got an education on what you women are going through. And it broke my heart because I was like, wow, this is not how I see you, but this is how you see yourself. So I'm going to use some of the words that women shared with me, not to call you out, but to to let you know that you all think the same. One of the biggest words that I heard was inadequate. Inadequate. I don't feel adequate to do the job. 
I struggle every day. I hope my kids turn out okay, but I don't know. I feel inadequate to be a mom. Some of them said, I never have enough time for everyone or everything. I'm running from this soccer practice to making this meal to cleaning this part of the house to taking care of this bump knee to whatever. And they never feel like they have enough time for anyone or anything. Some of the women said, my job as a mom is a calling on my life. It's beyond just being a mother to children. It's a calling from God, much like I have a calling from God on my life to be a minister. And they view that calling very spiritually and very significantly, and they take it very seriously. Some of them say, my being a mom is my job. And they hate it when the world says, when are you going to get a real job? Because they feel their job is real. And it is real. And it is full-time. And it is beyond full-time. I was looking up some references, what it costs to, um, if you had to pay your wife, guys, what she does for work. And the statistics are anywhere from about $60,000 a year to $118,000 a year to do the things that she does for your family. If you pay her to drive your kids wherever, pay the Uber driver, that's what you would pay. If you would pay somebody to come in and clean your house once or twice a week or whatever, if you would pay somebody to come in and cook meals for you, if you would pay somebody in to do all these things, the cost is enormous. Do they have a job? Yes. Some of the women also said they fall short. They can't measure up. They measure themselves against their mom. My mom never complained. My mom never told me she had struggles with this in her world. Everything was perfect. She always did everything that a mom is expected to do. And they don't measure up. I don't measure up to Mrs. Clark because she does this and this and this for her kids and I don't have the time to do all that. I can only do this. So therefore, she must be better than me. And once again, you're comparing yourself to someone else. I'm inadequate. I can't do it. I'm not as good as she is. I fall short. Some of the women also told me they have great joy and great sorrow in the same sentence at being a mom. Great joy at raising those kids and yet great sorrow at the same time. Some of them said, we just are winging it. They're just being honest. Some of you women here laugh because you probably feel the same way. <laughs> Somebody told me I'm no longer an individual, but I'm Frankie's mom. Or I'm Fred's wife. I'm no longer an individual. Wow. Some women are depressed. They're depressed because they feel this weight. And because of that depression, they're anxious about their life. And I had one woman say to me, this is sad, but she said, I feel like I'm a flame 
ready to be blown out. Wow, my heart just broke for what you guys are going through. They feel like they're a failure to their children. They struggle with change as their kids grow older, allowing them to make decisions and mistakes and and turning to their spouses or other people for their answers instead of to their mom. That's how you guys view yourself. So then I went from there and said, okay, we need to pick this up a little bit because I don't want the women to feel like we're inadequate here. So who do you turn to when you're struggling? It's not a rhetorical question. Who do you turn to when you're struggling? Jesus. I hope you do. If you don't and you're not a Christian, man, you need to get Jesus because he is going to give you the answers to life. Is he going to make your world that much easier? No, but he's going to walk alongside you. And so, as I looked at that, I said, okay, how does God view women? And in the end of this service, I want to express to you how Jesus sees you. I want you to know that the struggles you face, the fears inside that not your soul, all the negative feelings that are just right there under the surface, they're lies. Lies perpetuated by society, by the enemy, by yourself at times. But this morning I want to leave you with the truth. And I found a blog post when I was doing a little bit of research by a guy by the name of Frank Viola. Now, the guys, don't get excited. It's not the pitcher they used to pitch for the Minnesota Twins. I know it's the same name, and I had to do a little Wikipedia search to make sure I got the right guy. This guy is the number one in Canada and number two in the United States for podcasts titled Christianity under iTunes. He's fairly well-known. I had never heard him before, but he has such good things to say to women And I read his post and I wanted to make it into my own words and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because what he has to say is so good and is so perfectly well written that I'm going to read you his blog post. So women, I want you to sit up and I want you to take notice of what this man has to say in his blog about how God sees women. Ready? I quote, let's take a trip back to ancient Israel and look at how women were viewed before Jesus came. Generally speaking, the Jews had a dim view of women. Jewish women were not allowed to receive an education, hence they were largely uneducated. Their only training was in how to raise children and keep house. I'm going to stop there for a second. If you want to get this blog post you know, we have this app that we're using right now on version. A link to this is on that app, and I want to encourage you. There's more links that I couldn't get to today. Open that app, go into that app, find that event, and um, you, can, you can find out some more information. But let me keep reading. I'll continue the quote. Women were largely excluded from worshiping God. In Herod's temple, there was a special court that stood on the very outside. It was called the Court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles could go into that court, but they were limited to that area alone. Five steps above the Gentiles' court was the woman's court. 
The women were limited to that one area. Fifteen steps above that was the Jewish men's court. Thus, men were given far more privileges to worship God than were women. A woman had no voice in her marriage. Her father decided whom she would marry, when she would marry, and why she would marry. A woman couldn't divorce her husband under any condition. Only a man could initiate a divorce. Jewish women were seen as little as possible in public. In fact, young men were warned about talking to women in public. So much so that it was a shame in ancient Israel for a man to talk to a woman in public. Consequently, most women stayed out of the streets. Women were regarded as inferior to men. Listen to this. They were regarded as property, just like cattle and slaves. Jewish males prayed a daily prayer of thanksgiving. This prayer showed how poorly the Jews looked upon women. It goes like this. Praise be to God. He has not created me a Gentile. Praise be to God. He has not created me a woman. And praise be to God, he has not created me an ignorant man. This was man's view of woman in first century Israel. It was not much better in other cultures. In fact, ever since the fall of humanity, women have been regarded as second-class citizens, inferior to men, but something happened that changed all that. Jesus came. Can I get an amen on that one? Jesus came. Hallelujah. In Jesus Christ, we find God's view of a woman. Not man's view, not the American view, not the European view, not the Asian view, not the African view, not the South American view, not even the Chilean view, but God's view. You ready, women? Jesus Christ is God made flesh. As such, he embodied all of God's opinions. In his earthly life, Jesus was the visible expression of God himself. By his actions and his words, we discover God's view of a woman. And that view was utterly contrary to the prevailing view of his day. Consider this. When God decided to make his entrance upon this planet, he visited a woman. He chose a woman to bring forth the eternal son, the Messiah, the anointed one for whom Israel had waited thousands of years. The life of God was first placed in the womb of a woman before it got to you and to me. And God was not ashamed. Sisters in Christ, this is your Lord's view of a woman. Take your high place. But that's not all. As Jesus ministered, he ripped down all social conventions that were pitted against women. On one occasion, he rose to the defense of a woman caught in adultery. He became her attorney and saved her life. And God was not ashamed. Jesus was noted for palling around with sinners. He supped with prostitutes and tax collectors. We are told in John chapter 4 that he met a woman and he did something that shocked the disciples. He talked to her in public. And he was not ashamed. Not only was she a woman, but she was a divorcee. But not only was she a divorcee, she was actively living in immorality. Yet not only was she a woman, a divorcee, an adulteress living in sin, she was worse than a Gentile. She was a Samaritan, a half-breed, 
A Samaritan was a person with whom Jews were never to talk. Your Lord talked to this divorced, adulterous Samaritan woman in public, and he forgave her of her sins, and he was not ashamed. Sisters, take your high place. This is God's view of a woman. But that's not all. Jesus had a custom of using women in his parables and making them heroes. He talked about the woman who searched for and found her lost coin. He spoke of the woman who was unrelenting in the presence of the unjust judge, who honored her for her persistence. He spoke of the widow who dropped all the money she had into the temple treasury and praised her for doing so, and he was not ashamed. Sisters, take your high place. This is God's view of a woman. Once Jesus was dining with a self-righteous Pharisee, and in walked a woman. But this was not just any woman. She was a woman of the streets, a prostitute. Upon seeing the Lord, she dropped down to her knees and did something unsettling. In the presence of Pharisees, this woman unbound her hair and poured costly perfume upon the feet of the Lord. This unclean woman touched Jesus Christ in public. She wept, washed his feet with her tears, and dried them with her hair. This scandalous and improper act mortified the self-righteous Pharisees. At that moment, these religious leaders lost all respect for Jesus and doubted that he was a true prophet. But your Lord was not ashamed. Sisters, take your high place. This is God's view of a woman. But that's not all. Your Lord allowed an unclean woman to touch the hem of his garment, and he was not ashamed. In fact, he praised her for it. He also gave a Canaanite woman who was viewed as a dog in the eyes of Israel, one of the highest compliments he ever gave anyone. He also healed her daughter, and he was not ashamed. In the Lord's last hours on this earth, he stayed in a small village called Bethany. It was there that he would spend his last days before he gave his life on Calvary. In Bethany, two women who Jesus loved had their home, Mary and Martha. They were his friends, and they received him, and he was not ashamed. Sisters, take your high place. This is God's view of a woman. When Luke writes his gospel, he refers to the twelve disciples with the shorthand phrase, the twelve. The twelve lived with the Lord for three and a half years, and they followed him everywhere. But Jesus also had a group of female disciples. Luke also used a shorthand phrase to refer to them. He simply called them the women. Interestingly, Luke used this phrase the same way that he used the twelve. They were also the Lord's disciples, the female counterpart to the twelve. The women followed the Lord wherever he went, and they tended to his needs, and he was not ashamed. Sisters, take your high place. This is God's view of a woman. But there's more. The greatest disciples of Jesus Christ were not the twelve. They were the women. The reason? Because they were more faithful. When Jesus was taken to die, the twelve fled. They checked out. All the disciples except John said, see ya. But the women stayed with him, and they didn't leave. They followed him up to Calvary to do what they had been doing all along, comforting him, taking care of him, tending to his needs, and they watched him go 
undergo a bloody, gory crucifixion that lasted six hours. To watch a man die a hideous and horrible death is something that goes against every fiber that lives inside of a woman. Yet they would not leave him. They stayed the entire time, and he was not ashamed. Sisters, take your high place. This is God's view of a woman. Following his death, it was a woman who first visited his burial. Even after his death, they were still following him. They were still taking care of him. And when he rose again from the dead, the first faces he met, the first eyes that were laid upon him, were the eyes of a woman. And it was to them that he gave the privilege of announcing his resurrection, even though their testimony wouldn't hold up in court. And he was not ashamed. Sisters, take your high place. This is God's view of a woman. On the day of Pentecost, the women were present in the upper room, waiting for him to return along with the twelve. Unlike his male disciples, the women never left him. They followed him to the end. Their passions for and dedication to Jesus outshined that of the men, and God was not ashamed. Throughout the Lord's life, it was the women who tended to his physical needs. It was the women who looked after him. It was the women who supported him financially during his earthly ministry. It was the women who cared for him up until the bitter end, as well as the glorious climax, not the men. The women were simply indispensable to him, and he was not ashamed. Women, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand for the rest of this reading because it's important. But beyond all these things that the Lord did in showing us how beautiful women are in his eyes, he did something else. He chose you, a woman, to depict that which he came to earth to die for. His very bride. And he is not ashamed. Sisters, take your high place. This is God's view of a woman. Brothers, Men, honor your sisters in the kingdom of God, for God honors them. When our Lord pulled Eve out of Adam, he didn't take her out of his feet below him, nor did he take her out of his head above him. He took her out of his side. Sisters, you are fellow heirs in the kingdom of God. You are fellow priests in the church of God. You are honored. You are cherished. You are valuable. And you are needed. You are his friends, his followers, his daughters, yes, his own kin. So sisters, take your high place. This is how God views you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we want to thank you for coming to this earth to make things right. And in making things right, you have elevated women to the proper place that they need to have in our world. They are not something to be used, abused, set aside, but you have given them purpose and vision and direction for their lives. Help us as a world, as children, as a church, as a society, not to look at them in any other way. Lord, my prayer today is that you would encourage these women, not with the words that they want to think about themselves, but with your words. 
with the example of what you did, Jesus, on the cross, with the example of what you did in how you valued these women. Lord, may we value them in that way today. Thank you for giving us this proper view. Help the women in this church and in our world to see themselves in that way as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.